The three most harmful addictions are heroin, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. Nassim Nicholas Taleb calls out the human race. It's 2023, and I'm Jackson Keat. We're going to see the key. Now, who is Procrustes? The Bed of Procrustes by Nassim Nicholas Taleb references Procrustes, whose uh, character in Greek mythology. And what he did was he would invite people over, and if they didn't fit their bed, in lieu of buying them another one (laughs) or altering the bed, he would, if they were too tall, he would cut something off. If they were too short, he would stretch them out. So this is supposed to be something, this is a reference to how Taleb sees the way people approach the world. And hopefully you can pick up on what he's suggesting here. So, The Bed of Procrustes is actually a book of aphorisms. So, it's wise sayings that run the gamut. A lot of the the categories that he references among them are counter-narrative, the sacred and the profane, chance, success, happiness, and stoicism, theseus, or living the paleo life, ethics, robustness, and fragility, epistemology, and subtractive knowledge. Taleb really is the unrelenting father figure that we all need. Much in a Nietzschean way, he decries the modern learned fragility. So, some of the aphorisms, we are going to go through them and have a bit of a discussion on some and let you just ruminate in others. So, the first one, modernity's double punishment is to make us age prematurely and live longer. So, of course, there's irony in that. Age prematurely but live longer. There's another one that's related to it, wherein he talks about how terminal illness will mercifully kill you fast, while modern medicine will extend your suffering. Another aphorism, over the long term, you are more likely to fool yourself than others. The only thing people do more naturally than lying to others is lying to themselves. This is something that everybody knows, (laughs) should know, at least, unless you're fooling yourself. Everybody should know about how humans operate. That in order to cope, you rationalize much of the time with who you are, what you've done, what you've accomplished, what you should be doing, how other peoples have wronged you, other peoples that you have wronged, all those kinds of things. We love to deceive ourselves just as a means of coping with life. Next aphorism, men destroy each other during war themselves during peacetime. I think this was the most interesting one to me. If you encapsule gladiators, they will still gladiate internally, if that is the only option. So, much like we talked about over, after the fall of the Soviet Union, we didn't really have a shared enemy, so it was very difficult to galvanize people after that into, you know, one grand coalition. So if you don't have that external war, if you don't have that fight outside, then you fight an internal one. You have this instinct toward conflict, so you pull yourself apart because you don't have something to fight outside. Hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. That wasn't one of his aphorisms, obviously, that was just to make a point, is that it it could be a built-in biological conflict fuse to clear the evolutionary debris and renew what is possible or what's available. But this this ironic idea that if you if you take away war, if you avoid war, if you don't have war on the outside that you're fighting, then you're going to fight a war on the inside. And I don't think it's restricted to men either. We have currently the worst psychological health in recorded history. And likely it's because both men and women are looking internally for things to fight because they become complacent about things on the outside. They can be comfortable, they get enough food, they get sleep, they have shelter, whatever, and they've been talked into these circles about who the real enemy is, so they end up pulling themselves apart from the inside. Next one. 
We are hunters. We are only truly alive in those moments when we improvise. No schedule, just small surprises and stimuli from the environment. We are kind of primates lost in time. We're fitted for the state of nature, and we are tribal to the end. No matter the issue, this is something that I've, I've been noticing more recently, or paying attention to at least more recently, is that no matter the issue, no matter the issue that comes up, people have to take an instant position on it. They have to pick a tribe, one tribe or the other. There was a story that was, it was a study, I put that in quotes, study that was issued by the WEF about gas ranges being dangerous to people. Now, they've had an agenda of trying to nuke all fossil fuels everywhere. And as far as I know, a majority of cooks prefer gas ranges because they're they're quicker to light and quicker to heat and heat more evenly. So they're just better in general. But so instantly you have to have a position. You know, we most of the people who had a position on this didn't read the study, haven't read rival studies, don't know why this is just suddenly coming up now. It happens to be <laughs> in line with all these gender-driven div- propositions. But we instantly have to pick a, a tribe and instantly have to have a fully formed opinion on all subjects, no matter the issue. It's not understanding, it's a heuristic to make snap decisions based on tribal logic. And that's just how we function in complex systems. That's not how you come to what's true. That's something that benefited us when we were in bands of 40, is to be more biased towards your tribe so you can make snap decisions to its benefit. The tribes that were more tribal were more likely to survive in those situations. Next one. Education makes the wise slightly wiser, but it makes the fool vastly more dangerous. Hello 21st century. Yeah, this one is a big deal. The Dunning-Kruger effect we've talked about, you know, many a time. Hopefully you know what it is. It suggests that there's uh, a point at which you have enough information that you're extremely confident in your positions, but not enough information to know how much you don't know. So you, you, the proportion of confidence to the amount of information you have is at a dangerous inflection before you get more information to understand that it's much more complex than you realize. And so education tends to do that. If you have wise people, then they, they learn slightly more when they go through education. If you have fools, then they learn slightly more, but they get much more confident. And I think the most clear indication of this is something like the issue of climate change. Is that this is something that is one of the most complex questions in the history of all questions is how the entire planet, all the trillions and trillions of particles and the billions of humans and the billions of animals and the billions of plants and how they're they're taking away and giving back and the interaction of all those things, how that is affected geographically and in localizations versus over the entire history of the planet over short time frames, long time frames, all those things are being taken in consideration to try to understand this phenomenon. And I would guarantee that 99% of the people who claim to be certain one way or the other on when it comes to climate change know virtually nothing about it. They wouldn't know the parts per million. They wouldn't know why the Great Barrier Reefs are have improved to decade-level health. They wouldn't know what's going on with the polar bears and why they have improved so dramatically over the course, why all the predictions failed when it came to climate catastrophe. No matter which side you are, you're on, this is so insanely complex. It is, it is completely ludicrous for anybody to pretend that they have a complete understanding or even a sufficient understanding to pretend certainty one way or the other on when it comes to climate change. And yet, it's absolutely something that we do. It's something that many, many people do. They'll spend an hour, if that, reading an article about it and say, yeah, I've got it all figured out. We can move on. 
So the the next aphorism, you never win an argument until they attack your person. Again, hello 21st century. This is become this is used to be when we used to educate people. This used to be an ad hominem fallacy. It was fallacious reasoning to say that I get to attack you as a person and therefore your argument fails. Today it's the primary if not the only leftist retort, but there are certainly versions of it on the right. At least you know you have won. When somebody attacks you personally, then you know you've won a debate, at least, on the merits. Next one, modernity, we create youth without heroism, age without wisdom, and life without grandeur. Now, all of those things might be equally destructed, but I think which one is particularly virulent to me is the youth without heroism. Because we have this grand oscillation between empiricism and romanticism. This is something that's been going on ever since the Enlightenment, at least. Wherein one age will suggest that if we just apply capital R reason to everything, then we'll figure everything out and we can all be happy and fulfilled and taken care of. Whereas the other side says that there's a need for the numinous aspects of life. That there's the emotional aspect of life is actually important and we can't just toss those things aside. So we keep going back and forth on that oscillation and we have to see, you know, we're kind of having a, a resurgence of the romanticism after the empiricism has failed us for for a good bit of time. And we'll have to see where we land and if we ever find that happy medium between those two poles and just to get on with the business of, of living as a, as a primate. Last one, you can only convince people who think they can benefit from being convinced. This is the game theory of advanced primate communication. When somebody believes that them being convinced will benefit them in some way, then they're much more likely to be convinced. So if you're using this as a strategy for argument, then that's something that you have to lead them down. This is the reason that it's going to benefit you in some way. So go ahead and allow yourself to be convinced. But from another perspective, it's a concerning condemnation of the way that people reason and try to figure things out. Of course, we would love it if arguments were based on the merits, but uh, in most cases that is... That's not it. That's not the reason that somebody might change their mind. So the analysis of the book, Taleb isn't the miracle that Nietzsche is, but his book books are worth it. We read a couple of his, what was it, Fooled by Randomness and Anti-Fragile. I think we read, I've read those at some point. And those are worth it. Those are good books, and we'll probably revisit those at some point. But in this book, you know, it's just aphorisms, it's short. Uh, there was still a lot to be found. You know, you heard some of the good ones up above. Some I will record and commit to memory. And they're good. It's not Zarathustrian. <laughs> it's not mind-blowing. But it, there are certainly aspects that, that are really, really good and certainly useful in today's world. Big picture-wise, uh, there is so much missing from our modern world. Adventure is a prerequisite to humanity. That's something I think people forget, is that we need adventure. So many of our options today are slipping into well-worn tracks that are like, uh, just play the game, win your cheap plastic prize, and, and that's your life. Congratulations. And we keep getting distracted from the horizon by our little devices and the anti-human movements that are lusting for power and money. But don't lose your position here. Take your licks, grow, fight back, enjoy the adventure, and accomplish everything. So thank you for watching and listening. Please follow or subscribe.